fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. Around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is episode 175, and here's what we got coming up for you this week. Hey there, I'm Jeff Felton from contentremedy.co. I will be on the show to talk about email marketing, most specifically lead magnets and welcome sequences and how an effective lead magnet and welcome sequence can help you turn more prospects into leads, nurture relationships better, and get more sales from email marketing. So as well as that interview with Jeff, which is going to be towards the end of the podcast, we're going to be talking about your sales. How can you improve your sales by removing as much of the friction as possible? Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Let's start this week by me asking you a direct question. What's the house that you most want to own? What's the car that you want to drive? What's the holiday, the vacation that you most want to be on right now rather than be sat in your car or on the golf course or probably sat in the office, whatever it is you're doing? The more that you can get clear in your head exactly what these things are and the more that you can capture that in a way which really motivates and communicates with your brain that you most want this thing, the more likely you are to actually get it. Let me go back a step. What I'm really talking about here is vision boards. And wait, wait, don't go anywhere. I know this is slightly hippie territory here. The idea that just having a vision board of things that you want will make it happen. I don't believe that at all. I think of a vision board as programming for the subconscious, the unconscious part of your brain. So I've been using vision boards for years and I have one, in fact, I don't actually have a board. I have it in like a book that I read every morning. It's got in there my goals. So every day I'm reading my current goals, but I also have pictures there of future things that I want. And I do, I'll tell you why I I believe in the, the vision board so much and its programming abilities, because right now the house that I am recording this in is in the specific part of the very specific village that I have wanted to live in for years. And years and years and years ago, it must be getting on for 10 years ago, uh, I we, we looked at uh, buying a house here and at that time 10 years ago, we couldn't quite afford it because this is, this is quite a nice village on the edge of Milton Keynes here in the UK. And there's, there's a very specific part of that village that I wanted to live in, which is where we live now. So I went on to Rightmove 10 years ago and just pulled up a house. It wasn't this house or anything like this, but it was a house for sale in the specific part of the specific village. And I put that on my vision board and kind of forgot it in that it was in front of me for years and years and years, but I forgot the details of it. I certainly wasn't thinking, oh, you know, I, I, it wasn't an active thing. It was just there in front of me. And then when we moved house, uh, it was March 2020. We moved in just before uh, the lockdown, the very first lockdown happened. And I mean, literally like a week before, which is very good timing. But um, I, I bought this house and found this house. And houses don't come up very often in this part of the village. But I, you know, it was almost like the timing was right. I put my old house up for sale and I started actively, you know, with a vengeance looking for a new house and and was drawn to this particular house and absolutely fell in love with it. And it's been a, a great place for us to live. So what was important from that is that I 
I had this desire to live in a very specific place, and it needed to be a specific kind of house as well. I mean, we have got the gravel driveway. It's not the longest gravel driveway in the world, but there's a gravel driveway, which is nice. And, you know, it has a very nice long garden, and there's lots of open countryside around, and we're on the edge of the woods, and there's wildlife, and birds, and badgers, and all that sort of stuff. And that's the kind of thing that I wanted. I wanted a home in the country, but also that was actually quite near to town. And we're sort of 15 minutes away from the, the centre of Milton Keynes City, which is great. So this was this was on my vision board for years and years and years. And I wasn't actively working towards this. It's not like I got up every morning and I'm like, right, what's it going to take to get this house? I just knew that it would be important to me in the future. The same as right now, one of the things that's on my vision board is a villa in Portugal. And again, it's a very specific villa because I could probably buy a villa in Portugal now. It's just it might not be a very nice villa or not in a very nice part of Portugal. The, the villa that's on my vision board has a big pool an external pool. It's it's kind of modern and sexy looking. There's plenty of spare rooms for my friends to come out. And I can see me sitting by the pool, having a barbecue, you know, drinking a nice glass of wine, uh, socializing with friends. And that's not for now. That's sort of the next step. But that's on my vision board now. And in fact, it's actually, as I say that, I realize I haven't actively thought about that for some time, but I see the picture of it every single morning. The power of the vision board is not to talk to the conscious mind that's thinking about things, that's listening to this right now. The power of the vision board is to speak to the unconscious mind, the one that guides us in a big sense that we as humans don't really understand. We don't really understand deep values and deep motivations. We know when we've gone against them. You know when you've done something that goes against your values or goes away from the lifestyle that you want to lead, that it feels uneasy, doesn't it, inside. As humans, we don't really understand the mechanics of how that works, but we don't need to understand it to game it, to leverage it. If you want to live in a house with a gravel drive and badgers running across your lawn, actually, they're quite destructive. You might not want to do that, but you get the idea. If you want to drive a Maserati, if you want to fly planes or helicopters and you want that to be your hobby, you have to put it on your vision board because it is you, the conscious you, telling your unconscious self, this is something that's important to me. Please, in the long term, guide me towards this. I figured out a long time ago, and I'm sure you figured this out as well, is that we have a greater problem-solving capacity when we're asleep than when we are awake. Now, don't get me wrong, we're very good at solving problems when we're awake, especially you. You are a problem-solving machine, my friend. That's what you do for a living. You're much better at it than I am because you do it all day, every day, and you're very good at it. But both of us, when we're asleep, we are so much better at solving problems because when we're asleep, we actually gain access to parts of our brain that can't be used for problem solving during the day. Maybe they're needed for breathing or not stepping in front of a taxi or something like that. When we're asleep and we're off in the land of Nod, there are different parts of our brain that suddenly throw themselves at problem solving. Now, you will, you may not have known this, but you'll know the effect of it, which is you feel like your best ideas come to you first thing in the morning, perhaps when you're in the shower or you're working out or going for your walk or your first coffee or whatever, you've often thought, oh, I get my best ideas in the morning. No, you don't get your best ideas in the morning. What happens in the morning is you're delivered the results of all the work your unconscious mind was doing all night long. It's been problem solving and working towards things all night long and it delivers that to you. It's why if you are stuck on a big problem, the best thing you can do is actually load the problem into your brain before bed go to bed, read for half an hour just to chill out so you're not obsessed by that problem and it doesn't keep you awake and let your subconscious just figure out the answer to the problem overnight and then in the morning 
If there is an answer, it'll be delivered to you. If there isn't an answer, it won't be delivered to you. It's as simple as that. This is what we want to harness and leverage in the long term. And I know it's a bit hippie, and I fought this myself some years ago, but a number of different things have come true. Have I've gone in that direction because of the vision board. Oh, I, as I said at the beginning, I don't believe that whole law of attraction thing. Uh, you may have heard about this. There was a book about it. Oh, what was it called? Well, there have been many, many books about it. I mean, Think and Grow Rich, which is the original Napoleon Hill book, is kind of about the law of attraction. And then about 20 years ago, there was a very popular book. I did buy it, and I'm looking at my bookshelves now to see if I can see it, but I can't remember what it was called. Uh, the Secret. That was it. It was called The Secret. Absolute nonsense. That whole idea, that whole idea of the law of attraction that just if you think about something, you'll attract it. I think the law of attraction is nonsense. All you're doing when you're thinking about something and working towards something is you're programming yourself to move in that direction. You've got to do the work. If you want the gravel drive house with five bedrooms and a Maserati on the drive, then the business needs to pay for that lifestyle. So you've got to do the work to get there. But having that on your vision board for a number of years, make sure that you program your subconscious mind to go in the right direction. Do you have a vision board? Are you willing to share it with us? This is the kind of thing that we call in our MSP Marketing Facebook group. If you're not yet a member, just go into Facebook, type MSP Marketing in the search bar, go to groups and join us there. It's only MSPs there. You'll be joining around about 1900 other MSPs. It'll be a delight to see you in there and also for you to share your vision boards with us. Here's this week's clever idea. Right, gather round. We are going to have a physics lesson right now presented by the least scientific person on the podcast. Science wasn't really my thing at school. I enjoyed English more and history. That was about it, actually. Physics and biology and chemistry, all of that stuff just left me a little bit cold. But I still retain some of my memories from school, particularly about friction when it came to physics. I understood that friction was the stop, the, the thing that stopped uh, perpetual motion from happening. So in theory, if you push something, it would just keep going forever. I seem to remember, but for the fact that friction slows it down and friction slows everything down. Now, let me flip that into a sales and marketing thing because friction damages your sales. In fact, it slows your sales down. What's friction? Well, it's anything that slows down your potential customer from becoming a client of yours. And there are dozens and dozens of places where you could potentially have friction. For example, they go on your website and it's not utterly obvious to them what the next step is. Perhaps your phone number is hidden away or actually it's 2023. Who wants to phone these days? There's no live chat or your live calendar isn't there. In fact, your live calendar is the perfect frictionless call to action on the website. It's frictionless because they can go and book a 15 minute video call with you at a point that is convenient for them. And of course, because you control your calendar, it's convenient for you as well. So a live calendar is a frictionless call to action. Most other call to actions, sending an email, phoning, and certainly filling in a web form. No one likes filling in a web form because you always have that doubt at the back of your mind of, has it actually gone through? They never really know. So all of those are friction. What about if someone did phone up your business today? Is there friction in that? Well, it depends. If the friction is, good afternoon, Badger IT, how can I help you? There's no friction there. Whereas if the friction is your 19-year-old first-line tech picking up the phone and going, oh, Badger IT, immediately there's friction because anytime someone gets that kind of greeting on the phone, their heart just sinks down to their feet and they think, oh, 
I don't know if I can be bothered with this because, you know, trying to explain to the 19-year-old who has minimal verbal communication skills that you want to talk to someone about possibly taking you on as, as the, you know, the IT partner, it, it, it's friction. Anytime there's friction, we're less likely to go through with it. What about actually physically talking to someone? You know, if I phone into a business or live chat or something like that, I want someone now. And we've talked previously on this podcast about how it's not these days about big beating small it's about fast beating slow. You've got to be fast. If you're slow, that's friction. If you're not there today and you're not calling back within an hour, that's friction. If they want to meet next week and you're on vacation, you can't do that, but there's no one that can go in your place, because don't get me wrong, vacations are important, but so are sales, then that's friction, isn't it? So here's a challenge for you. I want you to go through your entire sort of prospecting process from the point that someone might Google you to the point that they visit your website, to the point that they get in touch with you, to the point that they have a sales meeting with you, where is the friction? In fact, maybe you should put a business owning friend through this. I mean, the the actual sales meeting might be a bit weird, but where's the friction? Is your website easy to find? Is the domain easy? You know, if you've got a .co domain, I would say .co isn't very easy, certainly here in the UK, because most of our uh, UK domains are .co.uk. If we see a .co, we automatically put a .uk on the end. Elsewhere in the world, when someone sees a .co, they put an M on the end and turn it into a .com. I think .co domains are awful, but I see MSPs using them. If I see MSPs using .tech, so your business name .tech, I see that as friction because actually ordinary people, they're not very good with those, those what they call TLDs, is it top level domains? They're not very good with the, anything that's not a .com or a .co.uk or, I mean, even a .net is is a bit weird. So, you know, if you've got something like that, that's friction. If someone can't get hold of someone immediately, that's friction. Why not get someone? Uh, it could be a friend of yours. It could be a, a business coach. It could be another MSP, although that could be a bit difficult because you know you know what's happening if it's another MSP. Get them to go through from finding your website to looking at your website to booking a to calling in to booking an appointment to actually having a sales meeting to how long it takes for the proposal to come out to understand the proposal. Difficult to read, difficult to understand proposals are friction. If you're struggling with sales right now and you're struggling to get enough leads and you're struggling to get enough meetings and then convert those meetings to clients, maybe it's because you've fallen foul of Paul's law of physics, which I've just made up, which is that friction kills sales. The more friction you can remove, the easier you can make it for people to buy from you. Guess what? The more people will buy from you. Paul's Paul's blatant plug. I'm going to admit something right now that I don't think I've ever admitted on this podcast before. I am a total and utter Doctor Who fanboy. Now, if you've not heard of Doctor Who, it's a British sci-fi show. Been going since 1963. Had a bit of a break in the 90s, but it was rebooted in 2005, and it is gorgeous. In fact, right now, we're in the 60th anniversary year. There are two new Doctors. There's David Tennant is the 14th Doctor, and Shuti Gatwa. You'll know him if you've ever seen Sex Education on Netflix. He plays Eric in that. He's the 15th Doctor. I, I literally could talk about Doctor Who for hours and hours and hours. I'm not going 
going to. The reason I mention it is because once a month in our house, there's a great buzz of excitement when this arrives. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that I'm holding up my copy of Doctor Who magazine. Yes, such a thing exists. And this is the special subscribers only one, which has no printing over the picture on the front. And I read this, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'll read it on the toilet. It's a good toilet read, this one. And I'll pour through all the details, all the stories and all oh, the, de oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. And then when I'm finished with it, I give it to my daughter. She doesn't know that I've had it in the, in the toilet, but you know, she's quite a Doctor Who fan as well. And she'll rip pictures out and put them on her wall. And it's all very exciting. And I know I could read all this stuff online, but there's something about having it in my hands. In fact, the physicality of the newsletter makes it more exciting for me and I'm more likely to talk about it and do something about the things I've been reading about. And that's why I have a physical newsletter too. It's called MSP Marketing Action Monthly and it's a deliberate physical newsletter. We do a digital version but that only goes out to our physical subscribers. The reason we do this as a physical thing is because I want you to take action. See, I pack this 16-page newsletter every single month with ideas and actions, kind of an extension of the stuff we talk about here on the podcast. But if I can get it into your hands, because it's physical, because you can read it on the toilet or pass copies to your colleagues, you're dramatically more likely to take action. That's why we've called it the MSP Marketing Action Monthly. Now, listen, I've made it totally risk-free for you to sample this. You can go and start a sample trial. Just have a go at it. Get one shipped out to you. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. We will ship it to you every month. Just go onto our website and you can see all the details at paulgreensmspmarketing.com slash action. Go on, get your sample copy now at paulgreensmspmarketing.com slash action. The big, big, big interview. Hey there, my name is Jeff Felton. I am an email marketer. I'm also a copywriter, former coffee roaster, a little bit of, of doing it all. And who doesn't love doing it all on your on your route to becoming a specialist and the best you can be at a specific thing? So we're not going to talk about coffee roasting on today's podcast, but I do want to talk about email marketing. And I know you have a very specific usage for email that we're going to talk about later in the show. Jeff, let's talk the big picture about email marketing. Now, I, I've been running my own business since 2005, and email marketing has always been a very critical part of what we've we did and what we, we have done. I had a business I sold in 2016 and that business was pretty much built up through email marketing. So we were building up lists of you know clean prospects. We were emailing them two to three times a week and we were doing around about a million pounds in UK sterling a year just pretty much based off of email. So email was the start of the sales process. Now, fast forward six, seven, eight years, I think I would struggle to do the same thing today just with email marketing. So my opening question to you is, is email marketing still valid for B2B sales in 2023? 100%, yes. Uh, you'll see a lot of statistics on the internet about the, the profitability of email marketing. You'll see 42 4,200% ROI. Even if you don't come close to that number, uh, email marketing is a, is, is a highly profitable channel uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, social media gets a lot of attention uh, and, and a lot of focus from brands and uh, B2B brands, I think, uh, and probably MSPs are, are trying to find their place on social media. But the reality is that with social media, although it's great, it's rented real estate. 
Uh, it's it's property that you do not own. When you build an audience there, you do not you do not own it. However, when you build your email list, the people that are on your email list are people who have already raised their hand and said, I'm interested in what you have to say. So email marketing then just becomes continuing that conversation in a strategic way to lead people to uh, the next step in the journey with you, which is becoming uh, a client. Um, you can also consider uh, why email marketing is still relevant. Um, Again, partially because on social media, somewhere around five or 10% of your audience actually sees your posts. You contrast that with email marketing and 100% of people get your emails in the inbox or pretty close to 100%. It's a big, big difference. So your, your messages are highly targeted. They're to the right people. Um, and if done well, they're with the right message at the right time. But let me be the devil's advocate on this just for one more question, which is when I go onto social media, I'm going on there because I want to either see what my friends are up to or, you know, just just see stuff that I know will be of interest to me because the algorithm is learning about me or maybe I'm doing it for, for the business or whatever. Whereas email, email sometimes feels like the, the distress activity that you have to do at the beginning and the end of a day. And actually people feel trapped in their email box throughout the day. Does that not have an impact on on the efficacy, the usefulness of email marketing. People do go to social media to, to scroll, to have fun, to be entertained. Uh, and email is a better channel to be able to reach people correctly. As you said, for a lot of people, it's a chore. Uh, but you know, 99% of people check their inboxes every day. Um, most of them clean out their inboxes every day. Um, so it, it's, 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 I, th I think it's 60 something percent of people prefer to be communicated with via email. Um, so it's, it's just a preferred channel for a lot of people. You're absolutely right. I, I personally don't really like going on social media to, to see advertisements, um, to be sold to. It's just not really the human thing to do. A human approach to email marketing, uh, is actually the better way to do things anyway. Now, you, of course, introduced yourself as an email marketer at the start of this interview, but you're not really an email marketer. Your speciality these days is something you call welcome sequences. Tell us, what's a welcome sequence? A welcome sequence is uh, a series of emails that somebody receives, a, hopefully a lead or a prospect receives when they visit your website and download a, your free offer, like a lead magnet or a free mini course or a free webinar, or, um, some sort of free offer. The welcome sequence is a series of emails that they receive after the, the lead magnet uh, that is focused on engaging with the prospect, uh, building trust with them, and then ultimately leading them to the next logical step in the journey, which is your offer. So the welcome sequence is really just a, a small segment of email marketing. Email marketing is broad, you know, just like social media is broad. Email marketing is broad. There are, you know, different focuses for different industries like e-commerce, MSP, B2B, you know, the, the strategies are all a little bit different and, and welcome sequence is just a, a small segment of, of email marketing. But I believe the reason I focus on it is because I believe it's one of the most important parts of email marketing. So this almost sounds like a storytelling function, uh, your, your welcome sequence. Can you give us a, a B2B example of, of how you would use a welcome sequence to, to tell a story and sort of build up uh, a bit more rapport with your prospect? So I actually, I, I did one of these for uh, a B2B company earlier this year. They were a, believe it or not, they were an O-ring uh, and seals distributor. 
That's what it is. Okay. So we created as a, a free offer when a prospect lands on the website, we, you know, we kind of got into the mindset of who our ideal prospects were for them. It was engineers. Uh, and we created a checklist for them, uh, a free downloadable, che downloadable checklist that will help them uh, be able to troubleshoot some of the ceiling issues that they might be having with their machines. Super, super handy thing for them to have just in their back pocket. Uh, so they don't have to, you know, frantically try to call somebody up every time an issue an issue goes wrong. So we give them that free offer. And then as soon as they get that that free checklist, over the course of the next couple of weeks, you know, depending on how long the sales cycle is or depending on, you know, how long it takes typically for somebody to reach out after the first point of contact, uh, over the next next couple of weeks, we'll send them a, we sent them a series of it was between eight to 10 emails and they, all of the emails were focused on providing more value. So we shared a couple of relevant blog posts. Um, we added more value to the checklist to continue to, you know, kind of earn, earn that trust with them. Uh, and then we positioned the offer, which was simply just scheduling a free call to uh, get a quote uh, on O-rings for their business. Um, we positioned that as the, the next logical step in the journey for them. We made it just an absolute no-brainer um, to lead people from uh, here's some here's a really helpful resource to help you troubleshoot to you know we are the solution for you to handle X Y Z. If you need us, let's schedule a call and, and get this get this get this show on the road. Okay, I can see that if that works for something as obscure as a seal manufacturer, I mean, you'd be crazy not to use that kind of killer marketing. And certainly some kind of future love paradise is where we want to get to. So even an MSP could use something like that. So let's let's use that as an example. Let's assume that you're working with an MSP, Jeff, and obviously the MSP sale is a lot more complicated and bigger than just someone selling O-rings or seals or whatsoever. What would you, How? what kind of welcome sequence would you put together for an MSP that's got to have a big, detailed, technical conversation with its prospects? We'd start in the same place. We would start with, you know, some sort of free offer that would be irresistible, right? And it doesn't have to be a PDF. It doesn't have to be a checklist or a mini course, but some sort of free offer that when your ideal prospect lands on your website and sees your, your pop-up or your banner or, you know, the landing page or wherever they see it, they see it and say, wow, that sounds super helpful, I really need that. Uh, the days, honestly, in my opinion, the days of, of the white paper and, you know, downloadable PDFs that say seven ways to X, Y, Z, um, five steps to blah, blah, blah. Those are gone. I, I mean, you can find that information on Google these days on just a quick Google search. So PDFs like that, in my opinion, are out. But a, a free offer that is is well positioned and well thought out and is insanely valuable to your audience gets downloaded. It still, it still works. So what I would do with an MSP is, is exactly the same. We would focus on what is, what is the first step of the journey for somebody? Uh, what is, what is the thing that we can help them accomplish, give them a quick win um, and really give them some good value right out of the gate. Uh, and if it's a long sales cycle, we would really probably just create a long email sequence. We would give them a lot of the necessary information um, that we would on on phone calls, or you know, maybe there are certain assets or content that we have on our website that a lot of that we find a lot of our prospects are uh, consuming before 
they uh, make a purchase. We would use all those things uh, to create a welcome sequence that matches and, and mirrors the, the real sales conversation that's happening. The mistake that a lot of uh, business owners, and I'm assuming MSPs would make this mistake as well, is that they don't follow the, the journey that's already happening. They don't mirror the sales conversations that are already happening in their emails. They're just conjuring things up out of thin air and thinking, well, this sounds good. This sounds like what we should say, or you know, this is what the internet says we should say. But really the most effective email sequences are the ones that actually mirror the real conversations that are happening already by the sales team. One final question for you, Jeff, before we talk about what your business actually does and how you can help MSPs. We talked about sequences and we assume we've, we've got a CRM. So uh, something like uh, MailerLite or MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or HubSpot or Keep. One of these systems where you've, you've built a sequence. So someone joining a list gets a series of emails. But of course, we know that not everyone opens every single email. Does that have an impact on a welcome sequence or, or do you kind of build that into the design that you know that they may only open, let's say, one in four of your emails. Yeah, and that's why we we typically make a welcome sequence more than three or four emails, right? Like, you know, most of the welcome sequences that I write are between eight to 10 emails, assuming that, you know, you may or may not open half of them. Uh, but there are some tricks up our sleeves that we try to use um, to try to encourage uh better open rates and more engagement. And, and it all starts with the welcome email, the very first email that they receive. So the first email in the sequence should deliver whatever asset it is that, that the lead or, or prospect uh, requested, whether it's a PDF checklist, course, whatever it is. Uh, it delivers that, but we're also trying to really um, capture engagement. Here's a fun fact about welcome emails. The welcome email is the first email that somebody receives when they sign up. Those emails get opened 91% of the time on average, which is just a crazy, crazy number. It's the most engaging marketing email that you'll probably ever send your audience. So my philosophy is if, if you're not leveraging that to create better engagement, you're, you're wasting valuable real estate. So in the welcome email, a lot of times I'll try to coax the prospect to just reply to the email with something really simple to answer a question, to tell me, you know, one quick thing, something like that. Uh, a very human, human centered approach to this, uh, because what that does is Google and all of the, the powers that be, I guess, uh, they look favorably on emails that feel more human. And so replies are a very human thing. So the more you can get replies, the more likely Google is to send signals that, yes, this email sender is good. This email sender sends good stuff. We can put it in the inbox. The more you can do that, the more likely it is that people will actually open the rest of the emails in your sequence. So just a little trick there to uh, get more mileage out of a welcome email that already is really powerful. Um, and set up the rest of the sequence for success. That's such a good piece of advice. I am so stealing that. And in fact, off the back of this interview, I'm going to go and change our uh, sequence that we use within our CRM. So thank you for that, Jeff. Jeff, tell us a little bit about your business. What do you do for business owners? And I'm assuming that you've got something on your own website that triggers an email sequence, which of course, it would be worth all MSPs studying. So tell us about your website as well. I work with uh, online service providers, mostly coaches, consultants, 
uh, freelancers. I actually do work with an MSP, um, a large network provider here in, here in the U.S. Um, and if you visit my website, you'll see it, I do. Yes, I have a few a few sequences of my own, um, a few free offers. You can find a free email marketing checklist. You can find find a free uh, mini course on how to write your own welcome email. Um, I've even got a fifty dollar masterclass on writing uh, your own welcome sequence. So the entire sequence. Um, so I've got lots of lots of resources on there for people when it comes to welcome sequences or email marketing uh, in general. Uh, and typically, I you know I try to gear all of my content towards service providers. I think that service providers uh, don't really get enough love from email marketers. A lot of email marketing content on social media is focused on e-commerce brands. I think that service providers don't get enough love, uh, but there's such a huge missed opportunity for service providers, MSPs, B2B brands to really capitalize on developing relationships, nurturing those relationships, and honestly, automating part of your sales process with email. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeff, give us your website address. It is www.contentremedy.co. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hello, my name is Matthew Pollard. I'm the author of the Introvert's Edge best-selling book series. And the book I recommend is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For MSPs, especially it's important because so many of you think you have businesses, but you actually have a self-employed job that the moment you don't go to work, the business runs to a screaming halt. So if you're sick of constantly waiting till late nights to do work, to catch up, and everybody's calling your cell phone, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think you'll find it really helpful. Cheers. Coming up next week. Hey, my name is John Weinberg. I'm very excited to talk with you next week where I'm going to help you improve massively your follow-up plan to get a lot more customers and get a lot more of your current leads and prospects interested in actually wanting to buy from you because you've actually built a relationship with them. And I'm going to teach you how to give them pure value that will make them beg to work with. Right now, whichever platform you are listening to this on or watching this on, hit the subscribe button and it means you'll never miss an episode. Because on top of that interview next week, we are talking about KPIs. What are the five, six, maybe seven KPIs, key performance indicators that are most important to run your MSP? We'll discuss those next week, plus of course, a ton of other ideas to improve your marketing. Don't forget, we also have a YouTube channel stuffed with inspiration for you. You can find that at youtube.com slash MSP marketing. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP. MSP Marketing Podcast.